Only a handful of you were here in the room, but it's great that some of you are still here. For those of you that weren't, the sermon title is, was, What is the Gospel? And I had two points. What is a gospel and what is the gospel? That was the first ever sermon at Embassy Church. What is a gospel? What does the word gospel mean? Good news. What's the nature of a message of good news? It means something that's being declared, something that has been done, not something that needs to be done. What is the gospel? The gospel about what Jesus has done. Six years later, as we open up Leviticus chapter 1, my hope is that we will better understand the gospel in today's message. We will understand what a gospel is, and we will better understand what the gospel is, namely Jesus' once and for all sacrifice. Over the past six years, I have done more and more studies of the Word of God, and I have grown in a conviction that many of us, as we have been around churches like Embassy, even churches that say we want to be gospel-centered, we maybe are only thinking about part of the gospel. And today I'd like us, as we look at Leviticus chapter 1, experience and contemplate the whole, the entirety of the gospel. What do I mean by that? I mean that for a lot of us, any part of the gospel, mainly the gospel of Jesus, any part of preaching Jesus is good as long as it's the right Jesus, okay? So that's good. If you're preaching Jesus, Christ is the message we proclaim. Or as Colossians chapter 1 verse 29 says, him we proclaim. That's a good starting point. But what about Jesus do we proclaim? His life, his death, his resurrection, How about his ascension and reign and rule? How about all of it? The whole gospel. Or let me put it another way. Right now, the Leviticus series is a parenthesis. It's a little break. It's a mini-series. The bigger series that we've been studying has been the gospel according to Matthew. 28 chapters about Jesus, and we've been working our way through verse by verse, chapters at a time. We're over 60 sermons into the Matthew series. It's taken us over a year and a half to get to where we are in chapter 17. And we have yet to get to Jesus' death. Do you get my point? If the gospel is just Jesus dying, then why didn't Matthew just write two sentences? The gospel of Jesus. He died. The end. But my question to you, is that how you treat the gospel? I'm not diminishing the death of Jesus. Hopefully you've been around me and this church enough to sense we care much about the death of Jesus. But let's not lift up one for the sake of the others. How about the life of Jesus? The active obedience of him fulfilling all that was commanded of him and fulfilling all of the Old Testament, is that important to the gospel? How about the resurrection of Jesus or his ascent into heaven and his reign and rule right now? Or how about his promised return and those who Hebrews, 10, Hebrews 9 at the end of Christie's reading said are eagerly awaiting his second coming? Is that important to the gospel? 
And the answer is, of course, all of those are. And so we will see the whole gospel in the ascension offering of Leviticus chapter 1. So let's read all of Leviticus 1. And I think if we understand it, we will understand the whole gospel. Starting in verse 1, this is page 81 in the Black Bibles. I think you'll be helped if you follow along in the Bible in the seats around you. So let's start with verse 1. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting that he may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Then he shall kill the bull before the Lord and Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and throw the blood against the sides of the altar that is the entrance of the tent of meeting. Then he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into pieces, and the sons of Aaron, the priests, shall put fire on the altar and arrange the wood on the fire. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall arrange the pieces, the head and the fat, on the wood that is on the fire of an, on the altar. But its entrails and its legs he shall wash with water, and the priests shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord." If his gift for a burnt offering is from the flock, from the sheep or goats, he shall bring a male without blemish, and he shall kill it on the north side of the altar before the Lord, and Aaron's sons, the priests, shall throw its blood against the sides of the altar. And he shall cut it into pieces with its head and its fat, and the priests shall arrange them on the wood that is on the fire on the altar, but the entrails and the legs he shall wash with water. And the priest shall offer all of it and burn it on the altar. It is a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. If his offering to the Lord is a burnt offering of birds, then he shall bring his offering of turtle doves or pigeons. And the priest shall bring it to the altar and wring off its head and burn it on the altar. Its blood shall be drained out on the side of the altar. He shall remove its crop with its contents and cast it beside the altar on the east side in the place for ashes. He shall tear it open by its wings, but shall not sever it completely. And the priest shall burn it on the altar, on the wood that is on the fire. It is a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. So if you're wondering, how's the whole gospel summed up there in chapter 1? Let's work through it. With a few helps on the screen behind me, let's start first with your big idea. This is your takeaway in terms of understanding chapter 1 of Leviticus. In order to be with God, you need to have an ascension offering. In order to be with God, you need an ascension offering. That's what's going on here, and it points us to last week's message. God is speaking from the tent 
And all the people are outside the tent. They can't enter into it yet. So if they're going to enter into the glory cloud of God's presence, that's how Exodus 40 ends and Leviticus 1 begins, you need to make an offering. An ascension offering in particular. And I'm calling it an ascension offering. Every time you see the phrase burnt offering, it is the word olah. O-L-A-H. Olah. It means to ascend or to go up, which is what this offering does as we're about to find out. So if you're wondering why I keep saying ascension offering, that's why. You need an ascension offering. All of this offering is burnt up, which is why it's called a burnt offering. And so then all of that offering is then ascending up as its smoke rises into the presence and the nostrils of God as he smells it and he says, mmm, That's a good barbecue, a pleasing aroma in his sight. So you need an ascension offering because the point, as we saw last week, is to draw near to God. The offering is about bringing near, bringing a gift, drawing near, coming into God's presence. Leviticus, in a nutshell, is how can God and humans live in harmony and dwell together in the same presence? That's the storyline of the Bible. We can't rehearse that again, but that's what you need to understand. And so this chapter is telling you, you need a a burnt offering. You need an ascension offering. So that's chapter one. And then in the coming weeks, we're going to see several different offerings. And so I have a list behind me of the different types of offering that we're about to cover. And in some sense, you actually need all of these offerings. And so to explain this for a minute, this is the order for which they're found in Leviticus. So first, ascension. The olah, also translated burnt offering. Second, you'll find in chapter 2 what's often called the grain offering, but a better phrase for it is the tribute offering. And that will be next week, Lord willing, we'll cover chapter 2. Chapter uh, 3 is the peace offering, and that's actually a good description because it's the word for shalom or peace. And so it's a peace offering. And then four and five are the sin or guilt offering, but I'm going to be calling them, and we will in this series, the purification or the trespass offering. And there's your five offerings. And these are the different types. And what you need to realize is that this is one order of them, but they're actually combined in some different ways. If we go to Leviticus 9.22, turn with me to Leviticus 9.22, you have a description not of the different types of offerings, the different five ones that we just overviewed, but you're going to get a summary of how the offerings would have been done in the procedural order. So the five that I just listed, starting with the ascension offering and ending with the trespass one, that's not the order to which you would do a worship service. So I want you to think about it like Embassy Church. We just went in through an order of worship. We had a call to worship with the song, God With Us. And then there was a welcome to explain what we're going to do today and the purpose of the gathering. And then we had a scripture reading, and then we had a prayer of confession. You see what I mean? Like there's an order, and we do this order on a regular basis. In the same way, there's an order for these offerings and these worships. And as they did so, look at Leviticus 9, verse 22. Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. And he came down from offering, and then this seems to be what I think is a summary of the order. The sin offering, and the burnt offering, and the peace offering. There's a threefold movement of the sacrificial system. Sin, 
ascension, and then the peace offering. So this is a helpful redistribution of the five sacrifices. So we got the list of the five as they order in Leviticus, but now you have the list of the order of worship. Purification and trespass are sometimes both done or just one of them are done. So it could be one or the other or it could just be one of them, but it's to deal with sin. Second, the ascension and tribute go together. They are they're twins. They're offered at the same time. And then the peace offering is the meal where you eat with God. And it has different sub-offerings like the free will offering and the thank offering and these kind of things. But that's the main heading is the meal. So in the next slide, I think, yes, this is a good chart to help you see the significance of the order of worship. Like a really helpful chart. This was one of those moments a few months ago when I was studying Leviticus. And I was like, wow, that's helpful. So if you're not that excited, well, sorry. But I am. I'm real excited about this. So this is the first two offerings that we had. The sin and the guilt offering. And its main focus, this is what you need to remember. Blood, then fire, then feast. That's what these are doing. The first one is about the blood. And the blood is a symbol of taking away sin. The big theological word is expiation. So the first concept of the worship service is similar to what we first did. We confessed our sin before God in this worship service. We read the scriptures and we saw, yeah, we're just like David, aren't we? We're sinners. We confessed our sin and then we remembered the gospel and that God has provided us a way. And so God takes away sin. That's the first step. Then the second step is the ascension offering or called the burnt offering. And it is all about fire, burning and consuming the entire thing. And its focus is a gift that is dedicated, completely consecrated all to God. This is all for you, God. This is not for me. This is not about my sin. This is you. I'm giving you a meal of food, aroma to the Lord. And then you have the tribute and peace offering, which is given partially to God and partially to the Levites who are going to eat it. And that's why it's, he's going to eat some and they're going to eat some. It's like they're sitting down and they're having a barbecue together. And the first ascension offering is, that's just for God to eat. And this one is for us to eat with God together. And so that's why we go from blood to fire to feast. That's the simplest way for us, I think, to remember this. So then, as we overview all these different offerings and we see how they're used in the worship service, I want us to today consider what then is the significance of the ascension offering. And as you compare and contrast them, they're not all just about dealing with your sin. Hopefully you see that just from the chart behind me. These two deal with sin. These are expiation. This one is about sanctification. And this one is about fellowship or communion with God. Or think about it like this. This is the whole gospel. Your sin needs dealt with. You need to be sanctified before a holy God as a fully devoted, repentant person. And then you can dwell in the presence of God and be in fellowship with him forever. That's the gospel. And that's why I'm saying that if you get the ascension offering, you'll get the whole thing. So let's think about what an ascension offering is. I have a few bullet points I want us to go through, and we'll start first with its prominence and importance. So point one 
It is an important offering. It might be argued that it's the most important of the five offerings. Now, why would I say that? Here's five reasons. It's listed behind me. If you were to take the book of Genesis and you were to take the offerings in Genesis, the sacrificial offerings, there's two of them, two times where there's offerings. First, Noah. Second, Abraham. Both of these are prominent stories that if you only had Genesis, all you would think is, wow, the burnt offering, or as we're calling it, the ascension offering, that's the offering that you need. Or think about the Noah story. God has his heart grieving because of the sin of the world so that he destroys mankind. His heart is not happy for destroying mankind. It's not like God is grieved and then he destroys everybody like, well, now I'm happy because I killed everybody. No, he's not like that. God is pleased when Noah gets off the boat and there's a pleasing aroma, an ascension offering given to God. That's when his heart changes in the Noah story. In other words, this is crucial to the Noah story. The ascension burnt offering is a crucial piece of the Noah story. Or take, for example, the Abraham story, the crucial moment of the Abraham story. Now I will know that you love me. That's the whole point of him telling Abraham, offer your son Isaac as a, what's the answer? A burnt offering. Offer him as a burnt offering. Consume him on the fire completely, and then I will know that you love me. And as you know, he didn't burn his son. He had a, a ram replace him, and then God, he passed the test. Number three, the third reason of why it's so prominent is this is the offering that's used on Mount Sinai to consecrate and ratify and make official the wedding of Israel and God. After Israel is in bondage in Egypt, they get departed out through the Exodus and they're at the foot of Mount Sinai. They get the Ten Commandments. And it, this part of the story, you need to think of it just simply as this is the wedding day. This is the wedding day of God's people of Israel and God. And to make this part of the official ceremony, there is a burnt offering. That's reason number three. Reason number four, it's listed first in Leviticus. Its prominence is displayed by it being first, even though it's not the first offering that will be listed. As one author, Michael Morales, says in an excellent book called Who Shall Ascend the Mountain of the Lord? A Biblical Theology of Leviticus. Morales says, probably Leviticus begins with the ascension offering because as you consider it, it represented the core and perhaps even the summing up of the entire sacrificial system. If you get this offering, then you'll hopefully understand all that is to come. Reason number five, the ascension offering is the name of the altar that all the later sacrifices will be on. So, visual learners, picture, ha ha. If you're going to enter into this temple tabernacle, you're going to enter in from east to west. You're going to move this way. Maybe you've seen or heard this before, but it goes from common place holy place, holy of holy place. And what you're supposed to realize is that they are outside. The camps 
there's three camps here, there's three camps here. This is a moving tent that moves around when Israelites are camping and, uh, and wandering around. And so this is the center of the camp. So underneath and above and around are all the camps, but the priests, they go in and they enter in this way. And what's the first thing they come into? This is the burnt offering. The altar where all of the offerings would be burnt. So everything starts there, and then that's when they start taking the blood, and then they put it all over the place, etc., and we'll get to that later. But you need to realize that the actual name of the altar is the Olah altar. So when we read about the sin offering, it's going to be burnt on the Olah altar. So those are five arguments for why I would say this is a big deal. This is prominent in understanding this sacrificial system. That's point number one. Just as an introductory idea, you need to understand its importance. Number two, it is a costly offering. And each of these remaining points, I think, will have very helpful applications for you and I as we think about our worship and our offerings to the Lord. Remember Romans chapter 12 says that we, our very lives, are to be a living sacrifice offering that's pleasing, an aroma to God. So first, well, the second point, but the first application point for you is that offerings are costly. And this one is. It's the most costly. If you didn't catch that, in Leviticus chapter 1, look down with me again at verse 3, at verse 10, and verse 14. If you noticed some of the repetition and got lost in that, notice the difference Verse 3 says, a burnt offering from the herd. Verse 10, if his gift for a burnt offering is from the flock. Verse 14, if his burnt offering to the Lord is a bird, we go from a cow to a lamb to a bird. Are you noticing the decrease in size or in cost? Remember that this is like, if you have a bank account of $1 million, well, then you're going to offer this amount. If you have a bank account of $100,000, you're going to offer this amount. And if you have a bank account of $1, well, then you're going to offer this amount. That's what's going on here. It is about knowing that everybody economically is not in the same place. Some people are wealthy. Some people are not wealthy. But all can come and offer. And based on the proportion of your wealth, it's still going to be costly. It's still going to cost you a lot, even if you're a wealthy person, because that's a big commitment to give up a cow. That's a big commitment to give up a lamb. It's a big commitment to give up a bird, even if you don't have much. So remember that this offering is costly not in the sense of it's proportioned to your wealth, but it's also costly in the fact that you get none of it. The priest gets none of it. It's just like you give this and it just all goes to God and you don't get any satisfaction of feeding the Levite's family. You don't get any satisfaction that your offering is helping pay for the pastor. It's just, that's just God and I get none of it. No one gets any of it. Just God. Therefore, we should learn from this that it is costly. And God, he wants your very best. We're going to see this repeated throughout these Levitical sacrifices. He wants your best. 
and all of your best. He does not want your leftovers. God's stomach cannot tolerate leftovers. He wants the finest of foods for whatever you can provide. Read Malachi chapter 1 at some point. You just jot that down. Malachi chapter 1, last book of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 1 begins with an entire chapter where the prophet is telling the people of Israel, you keep bringing me all of your almost dead animals. You, you might be bringing to me your best offering because you're wealthy with a cow, but you're looking at all your cows and you're like, well, that one's getting pretty old. You know, if we just give that one to God, then it's going to die anyway. That's not how God works. And then another person's bringing an animal. It's like, that one had an accident and it fell off a cliff and broke its leg and it's kind of like, can't walk anymore. We'll give that one to God. And God, through the prophet Malachi, is saying, your offerings, they're horrendous. They are not a pleasing aroma. I cannot stomach them. Because they're hearts of people that want to give half-hearted, cheap worship to God. Leviticus 1 is telling us, regardless of wherever you're coming from, you should give as much as you possibly can. Now, some of the people that are sitting around you, they might be able to give more. And I'm not just talking about finances. Time, energy, resources, gifts, skills, talents, all is for God. And some of you have more than the person next to you. But the question is, are you giving your half-hearted worship or are you giving the full thing? And Leviticus is going to tell you, that worship should be costly. It should be sacrificial when we think about the sacrificial system. That's point number two. Point number three, it is deadly. It's deadly. Have you noticed that all of the things, they die? And then notice in chapter one, starting in verse four, he shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. This is a common mistake when reading Leviticus chapter 1 in statements like this. A lot of people think that this hand laying on means, oh, so he's putting his sin on the animal. Well, sure, that's true. But you must be thinking of Leviticus chapter 16. Because there's a difference between this hand laying in chapter 1 and chapter 16 in Leviticus when you put your hand on an animal and you confess your sins on the scapegoat. You guys ever heard that phrase before? The scapegoat? It actually comes from the Bible, from Leviticus. On the Day of Atonement, they would take a goat and they would take one of the goats and they would kill it. And they'd take another goat and they would have somebody lay their hands on the goat. They'd confess their sins and then they would send it out. And it would go far away from the presence of God. It's to communicate that God will not tolerate and be around sin. It's going to leave the camp and go as far away from the camp. This offering is not going far away from God's presence. This offering is going very into the very presence of God. It's the exact opposite of the confession of sin offering. So then what does the hand-laying ritual mean? It's a representation of substitution. The man or woman lays their hands on the animal, whichever one they're bringing. And by the way, I should have brought this out in the last point. When we say costly, like this is coming from their animals, like their flock, their herd, their sets of whatever they have. I mean, it's, it's like you've got some pets. Maybe you can relate to that and be like, well, 
Got to offer the pet. I know that sounds a little bit morbid, especially with all the kids here today, but hopefully it, it like brings it home more. You need to realize like this is a part of your property and you're taking care of these things and you're bringing one of yours and that, that costs something and then it's going to get all burned and so you're putting your hands on it and at this point in chapter one, it should be I'm being substituted by this animal. That animal is becoming me. Or as one author says, it's a dramatic declaration that the worshiper is the animal and that they are taking the place of the person in the animal. As far as we can tell, there is no ritual of confession of sin at this offering. This is about being transformed into the presence of God. Therefore, in order for us to dwell with God, we need a substitute. We need a substitute because we cannot go on our own. We are unholy to enter into the presence of God. We need somebody to take our place. We need whoever that is to take our place to be blameless. They need to be without sin, without defect, not the leftovers of the flock. They need to be the very best. And in order for them to get into God's presence, step one is they must die. Death must occur. In order for you to come into the presence of God, you need to die. If the animal's representing you, then let's just talk about you and me for a second. We need to die. Coming to God, becoming a Christian, begins with death. You need to die. Die to your old way of life. Die to your old dreams. Die to your old habits. Die to your old friendships and relationships that are tearing you down and bringing you further away from the presence of God. You need new dreams, new goals, new heart, a new life. But in order to get all of that, you first need death. And that's our third point. The ascension offering is a deadly offering. Number four, it is a pleasing offering an aroma to the Lord. Did you notice that repeated refrain? Look at verse 9, and then 13, and then 17. And the priest shall burn all of it on the altar as an olah, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. That was the one that was taken from the herd. Second, drop down to verse 13. And the priest shall offer all of the lamb, and burn it on the altar. It is a burnt offering, an olah, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Verse 17, he shall tear it open by its wings, but shall not sever it completely, and the priest shall burn it on the altar. On the wood that is on the fire, it is an olah, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. You have behind me that the word burn is actually hiketir, and it means to transform into smoke. It's not just meaning burn. It's about a ritual that turns something into incense. That's another way to translate this unique word that's used to talk about burning what's on the altar. To take something and turn it into smoke or incense. It is about transformation. 
Take something costly. Be willing to sacrifice your very best and then kill it so that it dies on the altar and then is transformed into something radically new and pleasing. That's the flow. It must be costly, it must die, and then it must be transformed. It must be sanctified into something new and pleasing to God. It is no longer the animal anymore. It is something like a whole new creation. Your sin gets dealt with in the first offerings, the sin and guilt offerings. But then when you come to the ascension offering, consecration happens. Dedication happens. This offering is about committing the whole new you to God and making that thing pleasing in his sight. In order to come near to God, you need to ascend up, which is why it's called the Olah. It ascends up, the smoke goes up into the sky, and the worldview of this Jewish people and in general is that God is up, not down, and so the, the smoke's going to go up and he's going to have it received in the heavens. So therefore, if you would like to enter into his presence, you must be transformed. Are you transformed? Do you have just the part of the gospel? What I mentioned at the first part of the service? Jesus forgave me for my sins. Period. Done. No more gospel. Or do you have a gospel that says, Jesus took care of my sins so that I can be transformed? so that I can enter into his presence. The goal of the gospel is not just to forgive you of your sins. That's just one part on the way to the goal. The goal is God. The goal is to enter into his presence, to be with God. That's the goal of Leviticus. That's the goal of Jesus. That's the goal of the gospel. Do you know that goal? Or do you just think the gospel is, Jesus died for my sins? Well, I believe that. Period, done. My life's not transformed. I'm not let the goodness of the gift of forgiveness just soak and marinate on this heart so it changes me into a new person. Well, then you're missing the whole point of the gospel. You can get one point but distort it by saying, that's it. I just do something bad and then I come to God and I say, God, forgive me and then I'm going to do whatever I want and not be transformed into a new kind of creature. It's not how this works. It's not how it works in Leviticus. It's not how it works in the New Testament. In order to come near to God, you must ascend. You must be lifted up and you must be transformed into something new that you never were before. Last, fifth and finally, the ascension offering is a constant offering. It is offered every day and twice on Sabbath day. This could have been under the point that it's really important. So let's remind ourselves this is a really important offering with this idea. This offering is offered by the priest every day because the smoke is always going up. The goal is that the smoke would constantly be going up as a pleasing aroma to God. So when the sin offerings or the other offerings come, they're being combined with what is a continual, perpetual smoke ascending up into the presence of God. It's as if every action of the Israelite can be done as a people of God because the smoke is going up. 
You can be out in your field working because you know the smoke has gone up. You can be out doing your work, making food, taking care of your children because the smoke has gone up and it keeps going up. So look at the passage behind me, Exodus 29. It gives this specific instructions. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs, a year old, day by day regularly. One lamb in the morning and the other at night. Offer it with a grain offering. Remember I said that these two go together, the tribute and the ascension offering are like twins. So that's what I mean. And it's a drink offering for a pleasing aroma. And it's a food offering to the Lord. Is that it? Yes? Okay. So a constant sacrifice every morning and evening and the next morning and the next evening. The fire of the ascension offering was always burning in some sense. Constantly pleasing him. Therefore, our worship to God is not just on the weekends. It's constant. It's our very lives. That's the point. If the ascension offering is a representation of the substitute of the actual worshiper, then that worshiper is going up every day, over and over again. Is that how you look at your life? That you're giving all? Or are you holding some back? That it's costly. That it's constant. That it requires death and transformation. Well, friends, we should conclude and we should go downstairs and we should eat a meal together. But before we do, I don't think this needs done. I know a lot of you are smart and you could pick, figure this out. But in case, just in case you're not tracking, isn't this the gospel? Isn't Jesus the ultimate fulfillment of the ascension offering? Isn't he the most important and prominent sacrifice that's ever been done? The one sacrifice that ends all animal sacrifices? As we read earlier in Hebrews chapter 9, the priest goes in day after day offering the sacrifices, but Jesus Christ went in once and for all. That's good news. He is the most costly sacrifice that has ever been given. There is no amount of money, no amount of food, no amount of animals, no bird, no sheep. He is the quintessential lamb who was slain. Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and he did it at the greatest possible cost. Can you put a price tag on the life of Jesus? He is the most important sacrifice. He is the most costly sacrifice. He is the deadliest sacrifice. Time and time again, the priests and the worshipers would come and they'd lay their hands on the animal and say, you will take my place. Jesus takes our place. Because he didn't have an animal. It was the deadliest sacrifice because it was the sacrifice that was himself. No worshiper had ever done that before. Nobody said, hey, how about instead of the animal? Take me. No more symbol stuff. Let's do the real thing. If I'm supposed to die, then let me die. Jesus did that. This isn't just a symbol. A human being died. So then, my friend, 
Put your hands on Jesus. Hold on to Jesus. Identify yourself with Jesus and say, that death is my death. And don't stop there. Because it wasn't just costly or deadly. It was transformative. It was the most pleasing, sacrificial ascension up to the heavenlies. It wasn't just an artificial smoke. It was into the very tabernacle of tabernacles, the holy of holies. Please listen to these words from Ephesians 5 and never hear them the same again. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us. He loved us. And he gave himself for us as the fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. He loved us that he would so ascend as the only sacrifice that would be pleasing, that when God smelled that smoke, it was the greatest barbecue he'd ever have. The fire burned and consumed all of him. And Jesus died on that cross so that the Father would be pleased with us. And don't forget that Jesus' smoke is constantly before the Father, interceding day after day after day. You can live your life and leave out of these doors and go out the rest of the week knowing that your guilt has been paid for. The substitute has come. The offering has ascended up. And there is a way to live your life now on the basis of the offering of Jesus because it's there. It's before him. There's never going to be a moment when you're going to pray to God and right before God is the face of Jesus. Never. Get that in your minds when you go with all your sin and think, oh no, I got all this sin. He sees Christ. Always before him is the sacrifice that is the most pleasing to God, the most costly to God. Jesus is right there in his face, so he sees you through Jesus. This is why we're in chapter 17, and we need the whole life of Christ because we need the whole active obedience of Jesus, not just his sacrificial substitutionary death. We need the perfect righteousness of Jesus. It's not just a negative thing that it takes away the bad things that we've done. It deposits in our account the good things that Jesus did so that when God sees you, he sees Jesus. Because he's always there before the Father, constantly, as if the smoke never stopped going up, so Jesus is always in the holy of holies, the very heaven of heavens. So in order to be a Christian. In order to go to heaven. In order to be with God. You need an ascension offering. The good news of the gospel is we have one. Let's put our hands on it. Let's be thankful for it. Let's let it transform us into a new creation. And let that make our lives look all the different as we eagerly await his second coming. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you not on the basis of our own merits or our own blood, but by the blood and the merits and the righteousness of Jesus, your Son. We now, as Hebrew says, can Boldly come into your presence and approach your throne of grace. 
so we thank you for the privilege to pray now. We thank you for the amazing opportunity that is given to us right in this very moment to enter into your presence, to speak with you and not be cast out or have fire fall down from heaven. We come before you now, God, with trembling, knowing the great cost that was given for this to be possible. I pray, God, that our hearts would be continually transformed into a pleasing aroma, a living sacrifice, that our lives would be full of love, like the love that God showed us through Jesus Christ. And I pray that even in the next few moments, the moments of singing songs and praise, that this would not be just another day to sing songs, but it would be a glorious, triumphant declaration of the gospel. I pray, God, that as we gather downstairs, we would not act like the rest of the world acts at their barbecues and at their feasts and at their gatherings, but we would sit next to one another in such a way that it would show our love for one another, that we're all one in Christ, that we all need a substitute, and therefore we're nothing without you. I pray that that love would embody us as we eat a meal together and as we break the bread and as we take the cup. And I pray we would remember that you want to be with us and that you are with us, and that nothing will ever separate us. Thank you for the gospel. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.